0: Sometimes it still amazes me. I know I'm the pastor and it's not supposed to, but sometimes it still amazes me how God works. This Sunday or this last Sunday we had the worship in the park and Monday I came in and I was still super excited about what God had been doing, about the conversations we had, seeing all the people there. And I came and I sat down and started praying about, okay, God, uh, where are we headed next in your word? And some of you might be thinking, like, he only knew that by last Monday. <laughs> um, but I was still listening to God and, and trying to discern, you know, I was at some other book because for the last few weeks, almost over a month and a half now, we've been working through Acts and the outreach of the early church. And then last week we heard from Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus about praying for, that people would know this love of, of Christ. And so I came to this place, you know, are we con- supposed to continue in a new book or Acts? And, and I, had, I saw nothing but this arm just kind of pointing like this. And I took that to me and continued through the book of Acts. And I was thinking, okay, well, you know, next passage. And it's this passage here, chapter 5, verse 12 to 16. And it talks about the church meeting in a public place, about proclaiming the gospel in a public place. And, you know, I'm, I'm not super fast, but I, I start thinking, oh, maybe this does fit. And, <laughs> and I kept going, and by the time I was finishing my sermon and reflecting on the last week that we had and the service that we had in the park, seeing how God was encouraging and, and confirming that uh, in as, as a church. So God is at work in amazing ways, and, and I am so encouraged by this. As we read through the text this morning, you, you may have you probably picked up that they were meeting in Solomon's Colonnade, which for us may not mean a whole lot, but it's this particular part of the temple. It was a very public place where the apostles would gather, and, and they would preach, and they would talk about Jesus, and, and people would come to be healed because they had been healing people. They would come to be healed, and as they were healing people, they would make this connection as we saw a few weeks ago, they'd make this connection between Jesus and their healing, their restored bodies. Now, it's, it's no big deal. I'm sorry, it is a big deal. It is a big deal that the disciples were meeting here in Solomon's Colony. They were meeting in the temple. Because if, if you think about it, in their world, it had only been a few months since Jesus had been executed. Since Jesus, the one who they were talking about and saying they followed and saying that he was alive... In their world, just a while back, he had been executed. He had been crucified on a cross, put there by the Roman officials, the Roman authorities, and the highest Jewish council. So here they are in this public place talking about this man that they still profess to follow who had been executed as a rebel, as someone who was trying to start a religious coup. And yet they're still publicly proclaiming his name. You can imagine the tension they'd feel with that. Now add on top of that the fact that they had already been in the temple. If you remember a few weeks ago, they were walking to the temple to pray, Peter and John, and they saw this man who'd been crippled since birth, and they healed him. They prayed that, that Jesus would heal him, and he was healed. And he started walking and running, and he ran into the temple with him the first time in his life, and he began praising God, jumping up and down and praising God. You can imagine a person right now jumping up and down in church, praising God, how, what a spectacle that would be. He was doing that in the temple, and people began to see that something had changed. They recognized him. This was the guy that we walked by who was asking for money because he was crippled, and now he's jumping, praising God. So people started to gather around Peter and John. They started to gather around them, and he told them that this healing, this man was healed, not by us, but by Jesus. So then the religious leaders came, and they, they said, What are you doing? This is our place. This is our temple. Nobody makes a move here unless we say so. And so they put the apostles in prison. And then they warned them never to speak of this name of Jesus again. They let them off with a warning. They threatened them, don't speak of this Jesus. You can go, just don't ever speak of him again. And here they are, back in the temple, back in the very place where they were arrested last time, proclaiming the name of Jesus. Healing people. Now, as it says in the text here, it says that the rest of them were afraid to, to come with them. or they, they were afraid to join them. Now, in, in the NIV, they've, they've tried to make the best choice they can. But in the Greek, it's actually a bit more ambiguous. It just says the rest of them. So the apostles were there healing people, but the rest were afraid to join them. And some think that the rest of the people, some think actually the rest of the church was afraid to join them. And as I was reading it and listening to other commentaries, other scholars, what they were thinking, it sounds actually more like it was the rest of the church who were afraid to meet with the apostles because they knew that they'd been warned with their lives not to meet in this place. And so here are the apostles meeting in a public place, talking about a Messiah who had been executed, despite the fact that they had been warned by the temple officials not to meet there anymore and the fact that the rest of the church was afraid to meet with them. I'm encouraged that they were meeting in this public place, proclaiming this word word out in front of everybody. Because you think about it, they could have just met in a home. They could have gone to somebody's home on the outskirt of town, or maybe even one of the smaller towns outlying Jerusalem. They could have met there quietly. They could have still been faithful. But they were faithful to God's call, to God's Spirit and His leading, and they met in that very public place even at risk of their own lives, as we'll see in a few weeks, they met in this public place proclaiming Jesus, healing people in the name of Christ. See, I'm encouraged by this because I see some, some similarities with us meeting in the, in the park last week. Now, I don't think we're at the risk of our lives doing that. I don't want to make too much of that. But, but I think it was still, there were some great things that were happening by us meeting publicly. The first one I've already talked a little bit this morning was I showed up at 8 o'clock that morning. And there was already a group of people. There's already an army of people setting up chairs, putting out tables, getting breakfast ready. And that's just the people that I saw there. There had been people who had been working on it for weeks before that. As a whole church, you had been working on it. This was your project. And it was so great to see us working together. To see the whole church there Sunday morning, eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday, <laughs> people with kids. They're showing up and working and putting things together, getting things ready for to invite our friends and our neighbors. The other cool thing was that we had we invited the Anglican church and they came out. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, so many of them came. And they were encouraged. I remember talking with Cinda afterward, and she was saying that she was talking with one of her friends. They were saying, like, this is so great. Maybe we can do something like this. And the ways that it encourages our brothers and sisters that we did this together, but also that it encourages them to think about doing similar things as well. But it was also great, too, because it was a place for us to invite our friends, especially those who, who are unsure about Jesus or maybe who don't even know about him. It was a great opportunity to invite them to come and to hear, to hear who Jesus is and what he's done, this amazing thing that he's done for us. It was an opportunity to, to show them that you know, they maybe never come into a church before, that we don't do crazy stuff in here. We actually come here and we pray and we sing songs to God. I mean, maybe that does sound crazy, but... (laughs) But we got a chance to invite people to come. I think the thing that I'm most excited about it is that it was... We got to meet in this public place. We were public about our faith. See, we live in a time where it's impolite to be talking about religion or to, to ask people about faith. People don't really like it so much. It's sort of awkward. But we had a chance to proclaim it publicly. We had a chance to put signs out to invite people to come have breakfast and worship with us. You know, in some of the signs, there was, we picked up, I picked up one sign that had some stuff scribbled on it. I didn't quite understand it even, <laughs> But we were public about it. That we aren't just quietly meeting here where it's safe for us to meet, where everybody is okay for us to come up here in the church and meet on Sundays, but we were public about it. Handing out invitations to people. I mean, if you had those cards that we put in the bulletins, you know, just to say, here, like, I think it would be great if you came. You know, it's this great time. We're going to have breakfast and we're going to worship God. We'd love for you to come and to hear about Jesus and who he is. To be public about our faith. I'm encouraged by this. I'm encouraged by this. Because we need to keep breaking out of the categories that people have for us. Keep breaking out in healthy ways, and helpful ways. You see, as I've been talking about it a few times, I've mentioned it, that we sort of have this comfortable coexistence, or it's, I think, as people, whether it's churches and communities or, or anything, that we tend towards a comfortable coexistence. We try to figure out how to be comfortable with each other. And so I think about our, our community and how even here we have this comfortable coexistence. You know, many of them know who we are. We, we are Christians and we follow Jesus. But also, too, that they're okay because we meet here on Sunday in this, this one building. But it's comfortable. They, they get that. You know, it's it's not so much that it's not in their home or it's not in their grocery store or the Superette. It's sort of comfortable because they know what to expect. And we've had conversations. I've talked with some of you and you've talked about it. You know, I've, I've talked to my friend for years. And we've kind of got to the place now where we really don't talk too much about Jesus anymore because he knows where I stand and I know where he stands. And, That's what I'm talking about, this comfortable coexistence. We just don't talk about it anymore. So having this service out in the park is a great opportunity for us to break out of those categories, to to undo or to step outside the status quo or the comfortable coexistence. The thing is, we need to keep doing this. I know it feels awkward at times. It can feel sort of stressful at times, but we need to keep doing this, to keep stepping out of the categories that people have for us. So we can talk with them in unexpected ways. I think about it. There are people who walk by here. They walk by every Sunday. They walk by our church. They know that we're gathering here to worship. That we've even invited them to come. I know there are people who walk by. And maybe at first it's sort of this tug. Like they could walk by and think, oh, maybe I should go. Ah, not today. You do that enough times and pretty soon you don't even ask the question anymore. It's easy just to walk by. That's sort of what I'm talking about of this comfortable coexistence. We have to keep doing things to invite people. I was talking with a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he says they hand out brochures, and they've been handing them out throughout the year. And, you know, I thought brochures, like, is that, like, how helpful is that? I mean, I get a brochure and I throw it in the wasteland. But he said he actually had someone come to him and said, you know, I've received five of these brochures in the last few months. (laughs) So I thought I would come. And see what this church is all about. That's what I'm talking about of, of continuing to break out of our status quo, breaking out of the ways that people expect us to work, or the, the place where they're comfortable with us being. So we keep crossing lines, keep inviting people. Come check this out. Come to this service that we're having in the park. Or come to this to this dinner we're having to celebrate Thanksgiving. Come and just come and enjoy the food and you know, hear what uh, what's what's being said, and we keep inviting people. Keep crossing over what they expect. We have to keep doing this. Now, I'm not saying go out there and be annoying to people. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying go out there and be obnoxious. That's, that doesn't help anyone. I'm saying go and to invite people in a genuine way. Make friends with people. Invite them to come to supper so that when you ask them to come to something at the church, it doesn't feel weird or artificial or like you're somehow doing something that you're supposed to. But that you really want them to come because you care about them. So we need to keep stepping out of the status quo. We need to keep doing unexpected things. You see, our community expects us to come here each Sunday and to meet. They expect each Sunday to drive by and see the parking lot filled and then by about noon for it to be empty again. They expect us to pray at meals if they, if they come over for supper with us because they know who we are. But we need to keep stepping beyond that, doing the unexpected things, like continuing to work and to serve our community. I think about things like the, uh, the cemetery cleanup. That's an unexpected thing. Maybe we've done it a few years now where they, maybe even there they expect us, well, the church cleans up the cemetery. But that's something good for us to do, to continue stepping out the categories they have for us. To continue providing opportunities to, to share with people about this faith that we have. For, purely for the reason that we know how Christ has changed our lives. We know what Christ has done in us and in our families, and we desire this for them. So it's amazing to me, or it's encouraging to me, to see the way that this first church, the apostles, they met in Solomon's colony. They met in the temple. And to see some of the connections they have between us and the service that we had last week in the park. And the thing, too, that's interesting to me here is that, and I don't know if you caught it, it's the thing that stuck out to me is that the people or the crowd that was gathered around them, they respected them. It's interesting to me. They didn't, it doesn't say that they mocked them or anything. They respected them. I think they respected them because their, their life was living or was, was matching up with their faith. What they were talking about actually worked out in their lives. I mean, it didn't, didn't hurt that they were doing miracles and healing people. People come for that as well. But it was encouraging to me to see that the people respected them. Now, it's good that the people respected them. It's good that people respect us as a church. In fact, I would say it's, it's, uh, it's mandatory. It's mandatory that, that we live respectable lives, that we live faithful lives, faithful to the gospel. Because if we don't do that, then nothing else we do really matters. I can tell you, I talk with people in our community, and one of the hardest things that they have, or one of the, the main reasons why people don't come to church, and therefore avoid Jesus, is because of hypocrisy. Because people feel, because, you know, maybe it's us, most of the time people are just talking about, I mean, they'll even say, like, no, it's not anybody in this church, but I know people. It's hypocrisy. People who talk about faith, who say they have faith and then they live a different way their lives don't match up with what they proclaim for so many people many of you probably have friends like this if you've talked with them about faith they talk about hypocrisy Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus and then live the opposite way people struggle when they know that Christians come to church they talk about integrity and honor and then they go and they rip people off for the rest of the week it's hard for people to come to church when they know this. It's hard for people to come to church when someone talks about grace on Sunday and forgiveness, and then they go and they hold a grudge. And they hold it for a long time. It's hard for people to get past that. It's hard when Christians, when Christians come to church and they talk about, about forgiving. Or they talk about grace and, and God's salvation for people. And then they go and condemn people. They go, and, and people, sometimes it's out of guilt, but sometimes it's genuine. They, it's true that, that sometimes Christians can make people feel like they're not good enough, that somehow because they follow Jesus that they're better than people. Those sort of things make it hard for people to come to church. Hypocrisy is one of the hardest things. It's one of the greatest enemies of people following Christ. I know of so many people I talk with you know, it's like, I don't know much about Jesus, but I just know that I can't be in a church. That's hard. So we have to live our faith. We have to be faithful. We have to live it out. Because we want, at the very least, for people to respect us. The trouble is, we don't want people to respect us for the wrong reasons. Because <laughs> that can happen too. I know of people who say like, oh, I really respect so-and-so because I know they're a Christian, but they never bother me with it. Or I know they go to church, but you know they, they never talk to me about God. I so respect them for that. And in one sense, you're like, oh, I want them to respect me, but in the other sense, like, that's really not helping them either. That's really not helpful for people if they respect us because we never talk with them about faith. Now it's it's good if we actually talk with them in a helpful way, an encouraging way. But it's hard when people it's not it's not so good when people respect us because we don't share our faith with them. It's interesting as I talk with people, they talk about how nice our church is. It's funny as funny and, and it's good. I mean, people talk about how, how good the church here is, the good things that we do, the good people that come here. And and I am encouraged by that. I would I wouldn't trade that. But I would risk it. I would risk it. It's good that people respect us and and they know that we follow God and that they appreciate us. But I would trade that. I would risk that for them to know Christ because we desire more for people. It's interesting as I talk with some people, sometimes people will say to me, they'll say, you have such a nice church. Such nice people. And you do such nice things. Can you almost feel them patting me on the head as they're saying this? And I can feel it, too, because I can hear him almost saying, you have such a nice church, subtext being, but I'll never be there. You're such nice people, but I don't understand why they believe what they believe. See, sometimes it can be patronizing. I believe that we desire more than to be, we desire more than to be just a nice church. A nice church can be ignored. I desire that people would know us as a faithful church even more than a nice church. That we will be we faithful to Christ and whatever He's called us to do. I would rather people call us a zealous church. And those people, I don't know about Jesus, but they they are all about Jesus. I would rather be a, a zealous church than a nice church. I'd even rather be a powerful church. I don't know what happens there. I just know that people come and they are healed. Their bodies, like they seem like they get over their sickness at that church or people's lives turn around and they start living different. I don't know what it is, but they are a powerful church. I'd rather be known as a powerful church than a nice church. See, I'm willing to risk nice. I know that feels like pressure sometimes because we don't want people to think badly of us. But I'm willing to risk nice for the sake of the gospel. To even challenge people to challenge them by the way that we live. You know, we, we have an offering each Sunday. And sometimes people get the wrong idea about that, but sometimes people outside, they don't understand, why would you give your money away? Can't you just use that? Like, you know, I, I could think about 500 things I'd rather do with that than just give it away to somebody. I've got a boat I want, a new quad I want. They don't understand why we would tithe offerings to God. Why would we, why would we devote money back to God for his kingdom and for his purposes. We do this and it's a prophetic thing that we do. Not that we parade it in front of people, but they know. Or maybe by the way that we live, by the integrity that we have. When someone says, well, no one ever actually does that anyways, that we do it because it's the right thing to do. That challenges people. Sometimes we have to challenge them even with our words, asking hard questions. I have a friend that I need to, to work up to this place where I can to work on our relationship where I can ask him this question. like, You know, I know you're retired, but don't you ever wonder that there's more to retirement than fishing and golf? But like maybe there's more to life than this? That we're able to ask these harder questions. Maybe even have these hard discussions with people. When someone says, comes up to me and says, so do you believe that because I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to hell? That we can have a conversation with them about that. Because that's what a lot of people think. There's a lot of people who think that that's what we say in here. That because you're not going to church, that you're going to hell. It's more than that. I believe that there is a heaven and a hell. I believe that following Jesus is the way because he said so. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And none come to the Father except by me. I believe this. But I also believe that God does amazing things. As I read the scriptures, I see places, surprising people, that God says, come with me. And surprising places where God, everybody thought they were in, Jesus says, I don't even know you. So we can have these hard conversations with people. And we can challenge them. Now I'm not saying go out and brow people, browbeat people. You know, where you go out and you start quoting Bible verses of people and telling them how bad they are. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about honest conversations with people. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking honestly with people because you love them. But also having the relationship with them that they know that you love them. We have to work on relationships with people. We have to be good friends before we can have these honest conversations. But we need to go beyond just nice. It's good that people respect us, but we need to go beyond that. Because we desire more for people. Not just that they would think that we're a nice church, When they stand before Christ, it won't matter that they thought we were a nice church. We desire them to know him like we know him. The ways that he has changed us. The life that he has given us. This is what we desire for people. We desire more for them. See, the apostles, they desired more for people. They desired that people would be healed. That they'd be healed in their their body. I mean, talking about people who couldn't walk that now they can walk, healing people who couldn't see that then they could see, even raising people from the dead. They desire people to be made whole, and they desire to heal people in their minds. Like we live in a society that tells us so many lies, it tells us so many things about you know that life is all about success. It's about working harder to get further ahead, no matter what, you, what it costs you. Your family will understand. That's a lie. That's not what we're called for. That's not what we're meant for. But we're also meant to be healed. They desired that we'd be healed in our soul as well. But we have these things that we struggle with, guilt and shame, things that we regret that we've done. We have these things and we wrestle with them, that in Christ we are saved from these things. Jesus came when he preached. He said, I have come to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, even those who are oppressed by their own guilt and shame. He's come to save our soul, to bring healing to the depths of our soul. And that in following him, not only is our soul saved, but also our heart is healed. The heart, the brokenness that we have, the, the the disappointments that we have in life, the things that have happened, the wounds that we've received, family who've let us down, friends who've let us down, things that have gone badly, illness or disease, things that break our heart. And we think maybe it's just better not to care. God comes and He heals even this brokenness. He desires to heal us as whole people. That's why we prayed last week. We read that scripture from Ephesians and we prayed on our knees to the Father, to the Father in Him, from Him every family in heaven on earth derived their name. And we prayed that out of His glorious riches, that people would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being, that they would know Christ, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they, being rooted and established in love, that they would have the strength, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ, that they would know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that they would be filled to the measure of fullness of God, We prayed this for people last week. I've been praying this for weeks for our community. For months, that people would know how deeply God loved them. That they would understand the length that God has gone to. The extremes that God has has gone to to save them, to rescue them, to bring them life. I want to encourage you this morning as a church. I see these things happening in us. I see God working and growing in us. Growing us and helping us become a healthier church, a more missional church. In these last few months, people have been healed in our congregation. I was thinking of Yvonne. Actually, I don't see her right now. She came this morning. That's right there, yeah. <laughs> She's just sitting by Dave, her husband. But... She was at the hospital, and she had gone with two fractures in her leg, one in each leg. And they thought that if she was going to be there, if she was talking with me, I think I might be here for six weeks. She went to have an x-ray, and the doctors could not find the fractures. In either leg. And they were amazed by this. They couldn't explain it. So they sent her home. I think about Colleen. I've been praying for Colleen. This whole church, I've been talking with certain people, and they've been so encouraged to see her, how well she's doing. You know, she has, she's, she has lymphoma, and she went, and, and the doctor, she had a tumor that was growing. And the doctor was amazed. He couldn't find it. He was feeling and looking for it, and he couldn't find a, a, a tumor that was growing aggressively and had shrunk. I believe that God is at work healing her, helping her through this. So we see that God is at work doing miraculous things among us, but also that we are proclaiming the word boldly, having the courage to go out and meet in public, to invite our friends to come and hear this amazing news, this love of God, this love of Christ, this love that he has for us. This morning, I pray that you hear encouragement as a church. Encouragement to continue going beyond the bounds. To keep stretching the status quo. To moving beyond comfortable coexistence. That it's nice to be nice, but we desire more for people. That they would have this life in Christ. That they would know what we know. That they would experience the life that we have experienced. I pray that you're encouraged this morning. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning,